Why don't you grab your Bible, turn to Jeremiah as we continue our study. Chapter 37. On chapter 35, we saw two Sundays ago, the radical Rechabites. Remember those guys? Uh, And uh, it was an interesting story of the faithfulness, kind of an object lesson, really, of how these Rechabites, um, remember they said, we will drink no wine, even though Jeremiah brought them into the temple and said, drink this wine. And they said, we will not do this. And, And the Lord used them as an illustration to the Jews of how, look at these Rechabites. They're not even Jews and they're more faithful than you guys. Um, they're more committed to their promises and vows before the Lord, and, and they haven't broken their vows for 300 years. And, and the Jews were saying, yeah, whatever. You know, Jeremiah was trying to wake up the Jews with the story of the radical Rechabites. And then we looked at uh, chapter 36 last Sunday, um, and we saw how Baruch, Jeremiah's, you know, scribe, uh, had written down the words in the scroll and then read it before the people and eventually made it to the king where the king and his servants cut the word up into pieces with a knife and threw it into the, the uh, fire. And that's what people do with God's word today. They think they're powerful because look, we're making fun of the Bible or we're chopping it up. We don't, we're ripping pages out that we don't like or the things that we don't agree with. And they think they're somehow damaging the word, but the word remains. You know, uh, men, well, we're like grass that fades away and like the flower that falls but the word of God will remain forever. And people have tried to destroy the word. People have tried to diminish the word, but it never, it, it's, the, it's the anvil that has broken many hammers. Uh, the word of God, I love the word for that. It's just immovable, unshakable. Uh, I, 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 the older I get, the more I hear these so-called Bibles, critics, skeptics, or whatever, um, as they try to push against the Bible, I feel like they're like a five-year-old with a toothpick pushing against a giant boulder. Good luck with that. Uh, The Bible's going to remain, and uh, we get to study that tonight. We get to look at the scriptures and see what it would have for us this evening. So uh, that was chapter 36. We saw that on Sunday, and now we pick it up in 37, uh, right here. Verse um, 1. Now this is going to be kind of basically the story of Jeremiah, how he landed himself in prison. and we'll see how that kind of goes here. It, and this, remember, it's not in chronological order, so it's just story. This chapter 37 is about the story of Jeremiah going to prison. Uh, there's a debate on which one, which time he went to prison. Uh, most scholars agree, as you kind of sort of sift through the book of Jeremiah, one of the things that you see is uh, the, um, the, the, the prison stories and the prison chapters, but was he in prison just once? No, most scholars believe he was there five different times. Uh, and so which one is this? We're not sure, but it's probably the first time. Uh, this story here, chapter 37, when he was thrown into prison. Let's take a look. And King Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, reigned in the, instead of Coniah. Remember, same guy, Jeconiah. Um, the son of Jehoiakim, whom Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, made king in the land of Judah. So this is kind of, if you recall the history of Israel, they were sort of a a vassal state of Babylon by this time. Um, And they were still sort of independent, but the Babylonians were kind of bossing them around, telling them what to do, and uh, basically puts, uh, you know, uh, Jeconiah in power. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar did that. So that's the situation. Verse 2. 
But neither he nor his servants nor the people of the land did hearken to the words of the Lord, which he spake by the prophet Jeremiah. Now remember, no one ever listened to Jeremiah. Not in 42 years of ministry, not one person will ever listen to Jeremiah. Tonight, we're gonna see how pathetic it is because even after everything Jeremiah says came to pass, people still don't wanna believe him. Um, I think this is uh, helpful for me as a pastor um, because sometimes I feel like, you know, uh, we can shout from the rooftops, hey, the Bible says this, and this is what's gonna happen, and then it happens. Like even in Bible prophecy, in our day, we've seen things happen that, um, you know, are just biblically proportioned. I remember, you know, it's fun to go back and listen to my prophecy updates from 20 years ago. Um, because it's an amazing thing. Like uh, I was saying, now could it be that this is gonna happen and that's gonna happen and the other? And then we've watched all that stuff happen and we're like, wow, the Bible kind of knows what it's talking about. And it's so impressive, the Bible. But people still say, yeah, whatever, we're not gonna listen to the Bible, even though, uh, even though it's true. It's like that, that pastor that moved into a new town, um, and as the story goes, and it was a little logging village on the riverbank and, um, and he preached a sermon and they, you know, they would, they would kind of like it, but, but he noticed something was happening. He saw that the, the loggers, they'd, they'd, there'd be logs floating down the river and some of them, they'd cut the ends off the log. As soon as they get it out of the river, just cut it out. And then they'd send it up to the mill. And, um, and the, the, the preacher said, hey, why are you guys cutting off the ends of those logs? And one guy said, oh, well, you know, you know the different villages, they put their brands on the end of each log to claim which logs are theirs and which ones are ours. So what we do is we cut off the ends uh, uh, so the brand goes back in the river and then we put our own brand on it and call it our log. Well, the pastor was stunned, this, you know, uh, this thing. So the, fir- the first sermon he preached in the village was, um, you know, uh, honesty, integrity, and being, you know, and all the loggers and all the people, oh, pastor, what a wonderful sermon. Thank you. That was awesome. Really, God is there. <laughs> well, that next week he saw the loggers out there cutting the ends off the logs again. So a second Sunday preached on honesty and integrity and, and, uh, you know, and, and, and the same thing meant, oh, thanks, pastor, it was such a wonderful sermon. But the same thing, they just kept cutting the ends of the logs off. Um, so he preached the third sermon and it was entitled, thou shalt not cut thy neighbor's log end off. <laughs> he made it as pointed as he knew how. Uh, you know, that's, that's sometimes the way of the Christian. When you speak the word of God, people, they don't wanna hear it a lot of times, don't be shocked if you find yourself in kind of a Jeremiah situation where you know, people just say, yeah, you guys are wacko to believe the Bible. Are you kidding? Uh, meanwhile, Jeremiah was correct in what he was saying all along. So um, nobody listened to Jeremiah, but verse three, then Zedekiah the king sent Jehuchal, the son of uh, Shelemiah, and Zephaniah, the son of uh, Maaseiah, the priest, to the prophet Jeremiah saying, pray now unto the Lord our God for us. Now Jeremiah came in and went out among the people for they had not put him in prison, that is yet. Uh, then Pharaoh's army was, uh, came forth out of Egypt and when the Chaldeans that besieged Jerusalem heard tidings of them, they departed from Jerusalem. Remember we talked about this event earlier um, when they released their slaves. This is that same thing. You know, here's Nebuchadnezzar besieging Jerusalem and the people were freaked out, oh, we're gonna die. Release your slaves, Jeremiah said. So they all said, okay, they released their slaves. And then suddenly Nebuchadnezzar picks up and leaves because of the Egyptians. Pharaoh Necho, a guy down there in Egypt was the one who was stirring up trouble for the Babylonians. So they left Jerusalem and went. And so the Jews, what did they do? They said, hey, where's our slaves? And they got them back. 
and re-enslaved their slaves. Um, that wasn't real repentance, by the way. That was just um, people being weird. Uh, but this is that event that uh, historically that caused, you know, uh, you know, Nebuchadnezzar to leave the besieging of Jerusalem for a short time. Verse 6, Then came the word of the Lord unto the prophet Jeremiah, saying, Thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel, Thus shall ye say to the king of Judah, that sent you unto me to inquire of me. Behold, Pharaoh's army, which has come forth to help you, shall return to Egypt into their own land. See, they were hoping, maybe the Egyptians will save us from Nebuchadnezzar. But Jeremiah's news, they're not going to help you. They're going to go back to Egypt with their tail between their legs, and the Babylonians are going to come back and besiege Jerusalem. Bad news, which Jeremiah often has bad news for these people because of their rebellion, rebelling against God. So, uh, verse 8, the Chaldeans shall come again and fight against the city and take it and burn it with fire. Thus saith the Lord, deceive not yourselves, saying the Chaldeans shall surely depart from us, for they shall not depart. For though ye had smitten the whole army of the Chaldeans that fight against you, and there remain but wounded men among them, yet should they rise up every man in his tent and burn the city with fire." Mark that or note that verse 9 where it says, deceive not yourselves. That's, that's exactly what the Jews are doing here. They're deceiving only themselves. Hey, we're going to be okay. Remember the prophets were prophesying, hey, it's all going to be great. We're going to have victory. It's all good. And I think sometimes, you know, a little bit of honesty would be helpful. Uh, we're not going to be good and Babylon's going to crush us. And that's what the Lord had been telling them through the prophet Jeremiah for a long time now, but they were, they were in this thing, you know, deceiving themselves, saying, ah, oh, it's going to be good. It's all going to work out. And I see that in, in our culture, in our current mentality. It's all going to work out, and we're good, and, you know, and, and we're not going to be punished for our sins. I'm getting away with it. But the Bible says, be sure of this, your sin will find you out. We tell ourselves the same thing these Jews were saying in Jerusalem. We say the same thing. But we're only deceiving ourselves. When the Bible tells us something about the results or the repercussions of sin, we have to acknowledge that, that the Lord knows what he's talking about. And we are, are, are not as smart as we think we are. Don't deceive yourselves, Christians, you know, into thinking that I can pull this off. I, I'm, I know I'm sinning, and even though the Bible says I'm not supposed to be doing this, that, or the other thing, it seems like I'm pulling it off for now. But it's said, it's true, like they said of old, you know, the wheels of God's judgment turn slowly, but they grind thoroughly. Watch out, because just because the Lord is patient, don't mistake God's patience uh, for just uh, ignorance or apathy. Um, you know, be sure of this, your sin will find you out. Be not deceived, God is not mocked whatsoever a man sows, that will he also reap. Be not deceived. That's what it says. And these guys had deceived themselves into thinking they were all cool. Everything's great. It's going to work out fine. But it wouldn't. Um, so verse 11, it came to pass that when the army of the Chaldeans was broken up from Jerusalem for fear of Pharaoh's army, then Jerusalem went forth out of Jerusalem to go into the land of Benjamin to separate himself thence in the midst of the people. And when he was in the gate of Benjamin, a captain of the ward was there, whose name was Irijah, uh, the son of Shelemiah, the son of Hananiah. And he took Jeremiah the prophet, saying, Thou fallest away to the Chaldeans. Then, Jerem then said Jeremiah, It is false. I fall not away to the Chaldeans, 
but he hearkened not to him. So Erijah took Jeremiah and brought him to the princes. Wherefore the princes were wroth with Jeremiah and smote him and put him in prison in the house of Jonathan the scribe, for they had made that the prison. So what's this accusation? It's a little hard, you know, the King James kind of puts it in a way that makes us think, what? Um, he's basically saying when he gets to, to uh, Jeremiah, this guy, Erijah, he says, you've fallen away to the Chaldeans. In other words, you're a traitor. You're on the Chaldean side. You're, you're a, a spy for the Chal- Chaldeans. That's why you're trying to discourage the people with your horrible prophecies and what have you. But uh, Jeremiah says, that's false. It is false. What you're saying is not true. But they couldn't care less. You know, one of the things I, I marvel at the book of Jeremiah is how it so parallels the days we're living in, where there's so much accusation and so much false out there, false claims of this, that, or the other thing. And it's so difficult to know what's true or false uh, that as a Christian, you might be tempted to get frustrated and think, man, what's true? What's false? Do, do masks help um, with the pandemic? Or are they just sponges for viruses? Um, and, and you know, it's funny, uh, you know, you can look and you can find so-called science on both sides of that argument. And both sides are saying, it's science. Look at the science. And you can look and look at both sides and there's legitimate science on both sides, or as it's called, legitimate science. The Bible says in the last day there'd be science falsely so-called. And I think we see a lot of that in our, in our culture today. And, and you kind of wonder what's true and what's false. I love that, you know, we have the word of the Lord and, and uh, boy, instead of getting all hung up on the things that are maybe true or maybe false, I like the Bible because we can just say, whatever the Bible says, it's true. And you can bank on it. I really feel that. I feel like there's only one thing in this world you can actually really just trust, and that is the Lord. There's nothing else. I wouldn't put my trust in um, the Republicans or the Democrats, the liberals or the conservatives, Antifa or Q. I wouldn't put my trust in any of them. Uh, I would put my trust in the Lord alone. Uh, Everything else tends to be a lot of noise, and we don't really know what's true. I know, Brett, I happen to know. When you say that to me, I know you're an idiot. Anyway, moving along. No, just, just kidding. I'm just messing with you. I'm sorry. I should have said that. But, you know, be careful because the Bible warns about a person who's, who's the brutish man and the word is stupid. And uh, the Bible talks about that. And I feel that we as Christians have no business being the brutish man that, you know, is wise in his own conceits, thinking that he knows something. But oftentimes we, we don't really know what we're talking about. And um, that's why, you know, uh, I think we'd be wise, and, and myself included, to be more silent on the things that are not in the Bible. If it's not in the Bible, I'm gonna be silent. Uh, if it's on the Bible, I'm gonna, I'm gonna stand up and shout it from the rooftop. Uh, but be careful, don't be part of the noise that's out there with a bunch of falsehoods. It's interesting to me that Jeremiah was the lone guy speaking truth. Everybody else, all the other hundreds of prophets were speaking lies. And, um, and now Elijah accuses him of being an agent for the Chaldeans. And so they smite him, they punch him, they beat him up, and they throw him into prison, this house of Jonathan that was turned into a prison. So this is how he gets into the prison right there. He's basically accusing Jeremiah of going over to the enemy. Well, verse 16, when Jeremiah was entered into the dungeon and into the cabins, or literally the cell of the dungeon, and Jeremiah had remained there many days, 
The king, uh, then King Zedekiah sent and took him out. And the king asked him secretly in his house and said, is there any word from the Lord? That's kind of funny, isn't it? Throw him in prison. Okay, there we go. And then Zedekiah, or, you know, the king's kind of or, like, well, let's, let's go get Jeremiah. Don't tell anybody. What's the word of the Lord? But I love that Jeremiah is not a dupe. Check this out. Is there any word from the Lord? And Jeremiah said, there is. For he said, he thou shalt be delivered into the hand of king ba- of Babylon. Moreover, Jeremiah said unto, the, uh, unto king Zedekiah, what have I offended against thee or against thy servants or against thy, this people that you have put me in prison? There are now your prophets which prophesied unto you saying the king of Babylon shall not come against you nor against this land. Therefore, here now, I pray thee, O my Lord, the king, let my supplication, I pray thee, be accepted before thee, that thou cause me not to return to the house of Jonathan, the scribe, that's prison, lest I die there. Then Zedekiah, the king, commanded that they should um, commit Jeremiah into the court of the prison and that they should give him daily a piece of bread out of the baker's street until the bread in the city were spent. Thus Jeremiah remained in the court of the prison. So not only did he take him from the, you know, the, the prison of Jonathan's house, which was the one that had the cable TV and the bench press and ping pong tables, um, they moved him into the horrible dungeon uh, of, of Jerusalem there. By the way, Josephus, uh, the works of Josephus is a long, tedious work, but it is interesting. He's an ancient historian from the first century who wrote about a lot of Old Testament stories like this one. And Josephus explains, and this didn't make the Bible, but, and so you, you can't say this is the holy, for sure, scripture of what happened, but Josephus has been proven to be accurate through a lot of uh, things like it correlates with the Bible, but it also uh, fits archaeological digs and other things as well. So Josephus is, I believe, a very reliable historical source. And one of the things he said about this is when Zedekiah put him in this prison, they had to lower him with a rope down into this dungeon. And when they lowered him, he, 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 his feet touched the ground, and then this ground, his feet sunk into the mud, neck deep. So he was literally in this dungeon with neck deep in mud. Uh, and that's the situation Jeremiah finds himself. And they throw him a little piece of bread uh, if there's enough left over. And you have to understand, Jerusalem, when it's under siege of the Babylonians, they were in famine. Uh, there would be times where there would be no food. And so Jeremiah is literally starving to death and neck deep in mud in a prison. I, I want to show you that this is a bad situation for Jeremiah. Jeremiah thought he was going to die in Jonathan's house. He said, don't take me back there lest I die. And he said, oh yeah, I'm going to put you in the dungeon in Jerusalem uh, and there you will be fed bread. If there's enough from the street, we'll give you a piece of bread. That's what he's saying there. So it's a pretty tough situation. And you might say, man, things are looking pretty gloomy for Jeremiah. And what's in it for Jeremiah? Have you ever thought about that? Like, like what, what is it? You know, Jeremiah was faithfully preaching the word. Not one person listened to him. Why, why wouldn't he just give up? Well, do you remember he said, oh, I, w- I was gonna s- never speak the word of the Lord again, he said. But he said, but I had this burning in my bones to speak the word of the Lord. So he continued speak. There was a burning in his bones. God just put it within him just to say, I'm gonna keep speaking the word of the Lord no matter what happens to me. And you gotta give Jeremiah credit, especially in a culture where we're afraid to speak the word of the Lord boldly in public to people that are unsaved and couldn't care less what the Bible says. Um, I love Jeremiah for his boldness. The scriptures say 
the wicked flee when there's no one chasing them, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. Jeremiah is this bold prophet speaking words that nobody wants to hear, but he's not afraid to speak it. I love that about Jeremiah. But he finds himself in a miserable situation. Now in chapter 38, we have this wonderful character that's going to be introduced to us. And I love this because when it's looking hopeless for Jeremiah, along comes Eved Melach. Who's Eved Melach? Let's take a look in verse 1, chapter 38. Then uh, Shef Ataiah, the son of Matan, uh, and Gedaliah, the son of Pashur, and Jukal, the son of Shelemiah, and Pashur, the son of Malchiah, heard the words that Jeremiah had spoken unto all the people, saying, Thus saith the Lord, he, he that remaineth in the city shall die by the sword, by the famine, and by the pestilence. But he that goeth forth to the Chaldeans, or the Babylonians, um, they shall live, for he shall live his life for a prey. He'll be captive, is the idea there. But he shall live. And verse 3, thus saith the Lord, this city shall surely be given to the hand of the king of Babylon's army, and which shall take it. Um, now, verses 2 and 3 is basically the whole message of the book of Jeremiah. He's been saying the same message all through the book. Uh, you're going to die. If you try to fight for Jerusalem, you're going to die. But if you submit yourselves, you'll be taken captivity uh, into Babylon, and you'll live. That's your option. And the other prophets said, no, we don't, the Babylonians aren't even going to come and attack us. And that's what Jeremiah's plea to the king in the last chapter, his plea was, you heard the other prophets, they were wrong, so why don't you listen to me? I've been right this whole time. But they still don't want to hear. And so these princes listed in verse 1, you know, Gedaliah, Peshur, Jukal, Shalomiah, all these guys, these, these guys remembered what Jeremiah said. Therefore, verse 4, the princes said unto the king, we beseech thee, let this man be put to death. For th thus he weakeneth the hands of the men of war that remain in the city and the hands of all the people in speaking such words unto them. For this man speaketh not the welfare of this people, but the hurt. So then Zedekiah the king said, Behold, he's in your hand. For the king is not he that could do anything against you. Um, and do you get a sense that Zedekiah is a wonderful leader? Like this guy is a spineless fool. Um, and this king's like, um, yeah, whatever, do what you want. I, I don't have any power against you guys anyway, uh, these princes. These are sort of the, the king's, you know, if you would, administration. Um, so it says, do whatever you want to Jeremiah. I can't stop you anyway. Verse 6, then they took Jeremiah and cast him into the dungeon of Malchiah, the son of Hamalek, um, that was in the court of the prison. And they let down Jeremiah with cords. And in the dungeon, there was no water but mire, so Jeremiah sunk in the mire. This is what Josephus was talking about, how he sunk, but Josephus is the one who said, and he sunk all the way down to his neck. But can you imagine that? So these guys, this is where he ends up. This is the prison that he ends up in. Um, and now, um, and, and so, by the way, you know, if you want to split this chapter up into nice little divisions, which I tend to like to do, <clears throat> um, the first section is verses one through six, and we'll call that the affliction of Jeremiah, the affliction of Jeremiah. Um, you know, the thing I, I, I remember about this is there's so many people in the Bible that find themselves in this kind of horrible, precarious situation. And I like to remember these guys when I find myself in down times. Have you ever been let down? 
Jeremiah was let down here. Verse six, and they let down Jeremiah with cords. Um, you know, there's another guy that was let down, uh, by the way, in uh, the book of Acts. If you remember Acts chapter nine, verse 25, um, it says, um, uh, Acts nine twenty-five. it says, and the disciples took Paul by the nighttime and let him down by the wall in a basket. And when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he said to uh, join the disciples. So can you imagine, you're Paul the apostle thinking, I'm gonna do great things for God. And he goes to the city and starts preaching and they, and they say, uh, we're gonna kill you. And they chase him and he's hiding and now he's running in the middle of the night. He's in a basket because he's got to sneak out of the town. Um, and he's being let down by other people. I, I wonder what he was, I always like to think, what was he thinking as he was sitting in this basket? Like, what was going through Paul's mind? Have you ever wondered that? Like, what a bummer. I'm such a loser. I'm supposed to be boldly pro- proclaiming the word of God, and here I am sneaking out of town in a basket. What am I, baby Moses? Like, like I mean, baby um, basket, Martha Stewart living? Like, what, what am I doing here in this dumb basket? Well, you know, being let down, uh, Paul did that, and he was in that moment. And I, I liken that to the time here of Jeremiah. Jeremiah is being let down by a rope or some cords, you know. And then he just, what, what happens when he's in the mud neck deep and suddenly the rope goes up and kunk, they put the lid on the, the hole and suddenly you're in this dark room. You know, you kind of wonder, you're like, that's my cave sound. <laughs> Looking around and, 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 and you can hear yourself breathing. Do you think Jeremiah could hear himself breathing? What was Jeremiah thinking? I, that's, that's the thing I was asking about Paul. You know, what was he thinking? Well, you know what? We actually know. Does anybody know? How do we know what Jeremiah is thinking when he's in this dungeon? Lamentations. Does anybody know what Lamentations is about? If you flip the pages, maybe 13 or 14 pages to your right, um, go to the Lamentations, and I'll, a little sneak preview of what we're going to study there. But in Lamentations chapter 3, um, we learn what he was thinking about as Jeremiah, the author of Lamentations, writes about this. It's Lamentations chapter 3, verse 55. Ah, oh, music to my ears. Pages turning. That's awesome. That's awesome. Lamentations 3.55, it says, I called upon thy name, O Lord, out of the low dungeon. Thou hast heard my voice. Hide not thy ear at my breathing, at my cry. Thou drewest near in the day that I called upon thee. Thou said, fear not. Don't you love it? Jeremiah's there, and he can hear himself breathing, and he says, Lord, I love how he includes that in verse 56. You know, thou hearest my voice, hide not thine ear from my breathing. I wonder if Jeremiah could just hear himself breathing in that echo chamber of the dungeon and just thinking, man, this is horrible and it's creepy. Lord, help me. As he cries out to the Lord and the Lord hears him and, and the Lord draws near to Jeremiah and says, fear not. Now, why should Jeremiah not be afraid? Because God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we would ask or even think. And so that's the thing here. I love this. This little Lamentations tells us what he, he called out to the Lord out of the dungeon and the Lord heard his voice. 
When you're in your dungeon or in your situation or in your basket going down the wall, don't forget just to cry out to the Lord. Say, Lord, help me. I'm out of my league. I don't know what I'm doing. People hate me and <clears throat> things are not going well. But cry out to the Lord and the Lord will, will help you. You know, hear my cry, O Lord, attend unto my prayer. From the end of the earth will I cry unto thee, the, the psalmist wrote. You see, that's the key, crying out to the Lord. And so Jeremiah does that. He cries out unto the Lord. I love that. Now, back to uh, Jeremiah. Um, what is the help that he's going to get? I, I love that he just gets the word, don't be afraid. It's all going to be good. Uh, but, but when you have your down in your pits time, remember Jeremiah. Remember Paul being let down in a basket. These guys were in their let down moments. And when you're let down, cry unto the Lord. Well, the first section is the affliction of Jeremiah, verses 1 through 6. The second section is the intercession on behalf of Jeremiah, verses 7 through 10. Let's take a look. And this is where we're introduced to this character named Ebed-Melech. It says in verse 7, Now when Ebed-Melech, the Ethiopian, one of the eunuchs, which is in the king's house, heard that they had put Jeremiah in the dungeon, the king then sitting in the gate of Benjamin, Ebed-Melech went forth out of the king's house and spake to the king, saying, My lord, the king, these men have done evil in all that they have done to Jeremiah the prophet, whom they have cast into the dungeon. And he is like to die for hunger in this place where he is, for there is no more bread in the city. Then the king commanded Ebed-Melech, the Ethiopian, saying, Take from hence thirty men with thee, and take up Jeremiah the prophet out of the dungeon before he die. Now, um, you know, he intercedes to the king on behalf of Jeremiah. Don't you love this guy, Ebed-Melech? Um, by the way, his name means servant of the king. Ebed-Melech, um, servant of the king. And, and I, I think he was probably a servant of, uh, of the king, you know, uh, because he had audience with the king. He had access to the king. But, um, but I believe Ebed-Melech was a servant to the king of kings not just the king Zedekiah, the loser, the dupe. But Ebed-Melech seemed to serve a higher king, the king of kings, and he, he has compassion on behalf of Jeremiah. Um, now, who is this guy? Uh, interesting, he's not a Jew. Isn't it something that there's not a Jew in town that cares at all about Jeremiah? Not one. But some Ethiopian dude cares about, you know, um, Jeremiah, kind of, those of you that watch the movie Gladiator, and that, that Ethiopian guy that's kind of tagged with the Gladiator guy and helps him and gets him healthy again and all that. I kind of picture that guy being Eved Melech, you know, the, the guy that comes alongside and says, oh, man, I'm going to save Jeremiah, even though all the odds are against him. But what, what is a eunuch? Uh, well, look it up in a dictionary. It's hard to talk about in mixed company. But uh, let's just say that um, one of the things they would do with these Ethiopian eunuchs would make them in charge of the king's harem. And the eunuch part would make it so that he wouldn't mess around with the king's girls. So you can put them, do the math there, find out what a eunuch is. But, um, but the idea is, is this guy is a servant. He's, he's like a slave, really. Um, and, he's, and he's no one of stature. He's not a Jew living in the town of being a high up Jew person, but he's an Ethiopian, a slave, a servant, and he's a eunuch. And you might just think, man, this poor guy, uh, what has he got going on? 
Well, the thing that he's got going on is he's a servant of the king of, of the kings and the Lord of lords. And he comes to Jeremiah's rescue. He has no standing. He's an Ethiopian eunuch. By the way, um, there's another Ethiopian eunuch in the Bible that's so cool. Remember in Acts uh, where, you know, uh, Philip finds an Ethiopian eunuch uh, who's looking in the book of Isaiah and he's trying to figure out what it means. And he asks Philip and Philip says, well, that's about Jesus. And he explained the whole book of Isaiah as it relates to Jesus, the Messiah. And then that Ethiopian eunuch said, there's water here. What hinders me from being baptized? He said, if you believe in Jesus um, as the son of God, then we can baptize you right here and now. Uh, by the way, I love that he didn't say, if you go through our nine week series on baptism, <laughs> and if you get your baptismal robe at baptismrobe.com, uh, then we can baptize you uh, on a certain date. No, here's water. What keeps me from being baptized? Do you believe in Jesus? Yes, okay, let's go. Um, I think the church, we, in, you know, striving to better something, we, uh, we sometimes get it in the way with trappings. And um, I think the good old days are when people just said, man, I'm a sinner and I need to be saved. I accept Jesus and I wanna be baptized. And just doing that, uh, like the old school way, not with the nine week class series. I understand why churches do that so that people understand what they're doing, but I think you can explain it fairly quickly uh, there on the shores of the water, just like Philip did in Ethiopian eunuch. But as it turns out, these Ethiopians uh, are great people oftentimes in the Bible, like this guy here, uh, Eved Melech. So he intercedes on behalf of Jeremiah. That's verses seven through 10. Um, by the way, I've noticed in the church, sometimes we're the last ones to come to the rescue of each other. You know, it's, it's always interesting to me, uh, the, the, the Christians and how we treat each other. And here as the Jews and how they treat Jeremiah, I find the church, oftentimes we treat each other like the church, uh, as, as the church is to other church members, the Jews are to the Jewish guy, Jeremiah. But um, it takes an Eved Melech, someone who's outside to come to the rescue. I think that's sad, but it also is kind of familiar. Um, you know, I remember, was it Chuck Gerard? Somebody wrote that song back in the old days, that Christians are the only ones, only ones that shoot their wounded. Um, and it's true, somebody falls or fails or does something wrong, and instead of coming alongside of that person and helping, oftentimes instead, boom, you, you, you lay them out. And you say, you're a loser, sinner. You're supposed to be a Christian. I thought you were a Christian and you sinned. And people are judgmental and brutal, and that's not the way to go. I love how Ived Melech uh, has compassion and intercedes. And that's really the, the third section. We see number one, affliction of Jeremiah. Number two, intercession on behalf of Jeremiah. But number three, compassion for Jeremiah. That's verses 11 through 13. It says there in verse 11, so Ived Melech took the, the, the men with him and went into the house of the king under the treasury and took thence old cast clouts and old rotten rags, and let them down by cords into the dungeon of Jeremiah. And Eved Melech, the Ethiopian, said to Jeremiah, put now these old cast clouts and rotten rags under thine armholes. Uh, that's King James for armpits. So put these rags under your armholes, <laughs> under the cords. And Jeremiah did so. So they drew up Jeremiah with cords and took him up out of the dungeon, and Jeremiah remained in the court of the prison. You know, uh, I love the care that Eved Melech has for Jeremiah. He, he, um, he could have just put a rope around him and pulled him out and Jeremiah would have to deal with the bruising and the rope burn later. But at least he was rescued. 
But I love that this guy finds some old rags and he gets a thing so he's not going to hurt poor Jeremiah as he pulls him up out of the, the deal. I love this. You know, it's interesting that he uses filthy rags because even our best works are like what? Filthy rags. But, but I believe that the Lord can even use our best works, even though they are filthy rags. Um, I think there's kind of an interesting picture here of, of that. Um, you know, I love that Eved Melech didn't just say, now pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Again, that's how we treat each other in the church. Just pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Be strong, be brave. Somebody comes and says, I'm depressed. Be tough, like me, we say, even though that's not how it works. I wonder if some of you could be less pull yourself up by your bootstraps and a little more put some padding and some rags and carefully help a person back up out of the miry clay. You know who was a depressed guy? Was David. David was a guy who was always, uh, speaking of, you know, poor Jeremiah in the dungeon here in, in the mud, it reminds me of Psalm chapter 40. David wrote this. He said in Psalm 40, verse 1, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined unto me and heard my cry. Listen, he brought me up out of the horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock and established my goings. And he hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Many shall see it and fear and shall trust in the Lord. Blessed is that man that makes the Lord his trust. Psalm 40, great, great passage. You know, do you ever wonder if this imagery of the, the pit with the miry clay, could it be the same dungeon only a few hundred years earlier uh, where David is talking about the same one that Jeremiah ends up in? Could be the same exact place. Who knows? But it's in Jerusalem that probably David's talking about this. But I love, you know, how uh, Eved Melech has compassion uh, for Jeremiah, who was hurting, left alone to die in a dungeon. And Eved Melech comes to the rescue. Uh, Galatians chapter 6. I love this reminder. And this is, again, how we're to treat each other as Christians. Um, it says in Galatians 6.1, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, you which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. And then it says, Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if a man thinks himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Just like they were deceiving themselves that the Jews thought they were all that, but they weren't there to help or listen to Jeremiah. They were deceived. So this word from the New Testament to the church, <clears throat> watch out, you don't be deceived like the people of Jeremiah's day. And it says, you know, bear one another's burden, but let every man prove his own work and then he'll have rejoicing in himself and not another. For every man shall bear his own burden. Let him that taught in the word communicate and him that teaches all good things. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. You know, this place in Galatians perfectly parallels the Jeremiah story here. Um, if a brethren be overtaken of all, you which are spiritual, the spiritual people, restore such a one in a spirit of meekness. And why do we come meekly? Um, now, remember, meekness is not weakness. Meekness is, is a strength under control. And being meek, not, not a big shot. You know, and so uh, we come with a spirit of meekness when someone's hurting. That's what you and I should do is come with a spirit of meekness. Considering yourself, it says there in Galatians, lest you also are tempted. In other words, you could fail just like this person you're about to help. And, you know, be careful. I would never do that. Huh. I would never find myself like that person. 
The Bible warns us, be careful when you think you're standing lest you fall. You and I can fall just like the next guy. It's something we all have to remember. You know, I, I think of that uh, just as a pastor. You know, I think of all these pastors, and I've had pastors that I looked up to over the years that fell. Some big thing that happened that they did in their life, and, um, you know, you think, ah. And, and better churches than Athey Creek and better pastors than me have failed in sin and messed up. And, and I think we all have to kind of remember that and remind ourselves that we're all prone to sin and stupidity. We all could do really dumb stuff. And uh, the moment we think we aren't able or capable of doing those bad things, that kind of pride will get us into trouble. So that's what it says here. That someone is overtaken in a fault. You which are spiritual, restore such one in a spirit of meekness, considering yourself, lest you're also tempted. And then it says, and bear ye one another's burdens. So that all makes sense. But then at a few verses later, but then it says, but bear your, your own burden. Uh, and you say, well, which one is it, Paul? Do I bear my own burden or do I bear other people's burdens? And the answer is, well, the word burden is two different words in the Greek. When, it, when Paul says in Galatians 6, when he says um, that we're to bear one another's burden, the, the Greek word for burden there is baros. And when he says you're to bear your own burden, the word for that burden is fortune, or P-H-O-T-I-O-N if you uh, transliterate it, fortune. Fortune or baros, what's the difference? Baros is a burden that is too hard for anyone and it will crush you. A crushing, unnecessary, undoable burden. And that's where it says we're to bear one another's burdens. When someone's crushed under a heavy weight and they can't bear it, that's where you and I are to come and bear the burden with them. But then when Paul says, but bear ye one another's burdens, bear us, then he says, bear your own burden. And that word is fortune. The burden, fortune, is the same word used to talk about a soldier's backpack. A pack that the soldier has to carry and it's necessary for his own survival. And he's supposed to bear that burden. And it's a doable burden. It is a burden, but it's doable. That's what he's saying. Bear your own burden, fortune. But when it comes to people's burdens that are overwhelming, come alongside of them and bear ye one another's burden, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. This is a good word. And Ebed-Melech is a perfect example of the, what we as believers should be one to another. You know, So he intercedes on behalf of Jeremiah, but then he has compassion for Jeremiah. Um, you know, you might not lead big Bible studies or you might not be a missionary in Africa or you might not you know, uh, have uh, 150,000 followers on your Instagram as you share Bible verses or whatever. But you know what? Any one of us could be an Eved Melech. Any one of us could be a person who comes alongside of someone and bears their burden and shows compassion. You know, we're living in a time where there's very little of that kind of love going around right now. And the church of Jesus Christ should be the greatest source of that kind of compassion and love. Uh, I, I look forward to meeting Eved Melech in heaven someday. He's, he's a, truly a Bible hero. Saves Jeremiah out of the pit, out of the miry clay. Before we um, uh, read on here, though, can, do you guys want to hear what happens to Eved Melech? Because it kind of just stops talking about him here. Um, do you guys want to know what happened to him? Well, let's, let's sneak ahead. I always do this in books, uh, but it's probably not good to do it in the Bible, but turn to chapter 39. Chapter 39, um, verse 15, we, we find out what happens to Eved-Melech. Because um, remember, Jerusalem's about to be crushed. So what's going to happen to Eved-Melech? 
Verse 15 of chapter 39. Now the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah while he was shut up in the court of the prison, saying, Go and speak to Ebed-Melech, the Ethiopian, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will bring my words upon this city for evil and not for good, and they shall be accomplished in that day before thee. But I will deliver thee in that day, saith the Lord, and thou shalt not be given into the hand of the men whom thou art afraid. For I will surely deliver thee, and thou shalt not fall by the sword, but thy life shall be for a prey unto thee, uh, because thou hast put thy trust in me, saith the Lord. Don't you love that? Eved Belek, this Ethiopian eunuch, this stuck as a servant in these, uh, the Jewish prison there and helps Jeremiah and Jeremiah gets this word. Now remember, Jeremiah is no longer in the dungeon, but he's still in the sort of the court prison. And that's where the word comes to him. And, he, and so basically that kind of is the fourth and final point of this chapter. There's the first one, the affliction of Jeremiah. The second one, intercession on behalf of Jeremiah. The third one, compassion for Jeremiah. But I like to add to that, salvation for Eved Melech. I love that. Chapter 39, verses uh, 15 through 18. And uh, man, remember that. Think about that this week. Who can I be an Eved Melech to um, and help them out of their miry clay and help them out of their situation? Good things for us to ponder. Well, the story goes on here. It says uh, there in verse 14, Then Zedekiah the king sent and took Jeremiah the prophet unto him into the third entry that is in the house of the Lord. And the king said unto Jeremiah, I will ask thee a thing, hide nothing from me. Now, wait a minute. If you're Jeremiah, what are you going to do? You know, the last time you did this, they said, okay, I'll tell you what the Lord says. You get punched in the face and you get thrown into prison. So here's Zedekiah, okay, tell me what the Lord's saying now. Well, verse 15, Jeremiah said unto Zedekiah, if I declare it unto thee, wilt thou not surely put me to death? And if I give thee counsel, wilt thou not hearken unto me? Not only will you put me to death, but you won't even listen to what I say. This is like a twofold reason why I'm not gonna tell you anything, Zedekiah, because if I tell you the truth, you're gonna kill me, and then you won't even listen to me anyway. Wow, those are some good reasons if you ask me. Well, verse 16, Zedekiah the king, swear secretly unto Jeremiah saying, as the Lord liveth that made us this soul, I will not put thee to death, neither will I give thee into the hand of these men that seek thy life. Notice just before we read on that he doesn't say, and I promise to do whatever you tell me to do. He doesn't say that. He says, I won't kill you, I promise, but tell me what the word of the Lord is. I'm not gonna promise to do it, but, and, and that, what a bummer. I, I feel like that oftentimes is the way some people approach the word of God. See, remember Jeremiah's words They are the word of the Lord to Zedekiah. So some couple comes in for marriage counseling and, you know, me or one of our pastors say, well, husband, the Bible says that what you need to start doing, if you want to have a good marriage, according to the Bible, you're called to love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Oh yeah, the old call of your wife as Christ loves the church. Oh yeah, I've heard it a million times. No, wait a minute, Zedekiah. Um, this is what the Bible says is the prescription for your marriage. Um, and, and, and I've seen you know, people get all mad and huff out of marriage counseling. Well, I was hoping that you could get into a little more psychology or get some real counsel. No, no, that's the counsel. Dude, you need to die to yourself. Like Jesus, you know, Jesus died on the cross and gave himself for his church. And that's what it says. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. 
and, and you're not willing to die to yourself. It's all about you and your, well, but Brett, she, what, that, die to yourself. <laughs> yeah, but die to yourself. <laughs> See, the, you know, I can't be this brutal in a counseling session. I can't hear it act like it really happens that way. But I also feel like I'm, thou shalt not cut the log ends off, you know, that whole thing. Um, and, and that's really what, you know, I, any good counselor that's a biblical counselor can see this guy needs to learn how to die to himself and love his wife as Christ loved the church. And he's just not even close to that. And if he breaks off his sin and starts preferring his wife over himself, now the ladies are all like, <laughs> did you hear this, honey? But it also says the wife see that she reverence her husband. Strong word in the Bible. Reverence is only used twice in the Bible. That word once, how we're to reverence God. The second time it's used the same word Paul uses how wives are to reverence their husband. And it takes two to tango. Husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church. And wives are to see that they reverence their husband. Respect is the idea. And it's really quite clear what we're called to do. And, and it's amazing how couples will say, yeah, but there's, it's, it's not that simple. And I'm here to tell you, it is. I'm not saying it's simple to do those things, but it is just that simple. That's what you and I, as married people, need to do. And yet people, ah, it's not that simple. I'm not gonna be able to do that. So you're not gonna be able to have a great marriage. People are just sometimes unwilling to do. And, and you get that from Zedekiah. What's the Lord saying now? And Jeremiah's, I'm not gonna tell you because you'll kill me and you're not gonna listen anyway. And so there's been times as, as I've gotten older in counseling sessions where I've kind of said, listen, I feel like in this counseling session, I care more about your marriage than you do. And so I'm done. Until you can do A, B, and C, and I'll give them some assignments, you know? Um, and, and it's funny, each, each person's different, but like, here's an example. Husband, A, stop playing Xbox till past midnight in the basement. A, B. Go to, that's dying to yourself. Die, give up the stupid Xbox. B, go to bed at the same time your wife, Brad, she, die. Die to yourself. She goes to bed at 8.30. Die to yourself. Go to bed with your wife. And then number three, write her a love note once a week and leave it there on the counter for her and, and tell her that you love her. Yeah, but I told her I loved her when I married Die to yourself die to yourself. See, I, I know I'm being kind of crazy right now, but that's the way I feel in a lot of marriage counseling situations. It's like, and then if you could do those three things for at least a couple months, then we'll, we'll meet again and talk further. But until, you know, it's, it's, it's like Zedekiah. A lot of times Christians today, we, we, we sort of overanalyze and try to, you know, psychoanalyze, well, what do I really need to do? No, you really need to die to yourself. It's just that simple. It's amazing how people try to just uh, hem and haw and sort of dance around truth. And then they wonder, you know, why? You know, it's, 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 it's that with everything, with sports, with uh, dieting. You know, I, I've, I've, you know, worked on dieting my whole life and I've lost hundred pounds several times in my life. I know how to lose weight better than you skinny people. <laughs> I really do. I know how to do the, you know, the, uh, the Atkins diet. I know how to do keto. I know how to do this and that. I can tell you more about nutrition than most of you skinny little nerds out there. But here's the thing. <laughs> here's the thing. It's the hardest part is just doing it, right? Or keeping it up for a long time. Uh, and so, you know, that's one of the things you should be praying for me about because uh, <laughs> I still struggle. But, but, uh, but I know what to do. 
And, and that, that's true with you too. Brad, yeah, you should probably do it. Well, so should you. We all have our things, don't we? We really do. We all have our issues. And I hope that you understand that. We, we shouldn't be stupid going, well, I think we need to do this and that. Um, I love seeing the commercials on TV for the stuff for people that are out of shape. Oh, I gotta get this, you know, work on this ab I've been working on for all these years. I better make it into abs. So, so what do you do? Do you do something that's logical and reasonable? No, you get the little electric shock thing that shocks your abs. <laughs> You're walking, <laughs> <laughs> working on my abs. <laughs> it's, it's great. <laughs> like, like, come on. That's not a real solution. And I feel like people do that with their marriages and with their kids and raising up children. And, well, I'm going to do it this way. Do what the Bible says. Don't be a Zedekiah. Tell me what it is. Tell me what the word of the Lord is. Jeremiah's like, you're not going to listen anyway, so I'm not going to tell you. He said, I promise I will, I will not kill you but he doesn't promise that he's going to do, do what he's supposed to do. Well, that verse 17 of chapter 38, then said Jeremiah unto Zedekiah, thus saith the Lord, the God of hosts, the God of Israel, if thou wilt assuredly go forth unto the king of Babylon's princes, then thy soul shall live and this city shall not be burned with fire. And thou shalt live and thine house. But if thou wilt go, uh, not go forth to the king of Babylon's princes, then shall the city be given into the hand of the Chaldeans, and they shall burn it with fire, and thou shalt not escape out of their hand. And Zedekiah the king said unto Jeremiah, I am afraid of the Jews that are fallen to the Chaldeans, lest they deliver me into their hand, and they mock me. Um, notice that Zedekiah is afraid, but he's not willing to listen to Jeremiah, but he's still afraid. And who's he afraid of? He's afraid of the Jews who might turn him over to the Chaldeans, the Babylonians. Isn't this something? You know, really, you and I, if you know the story of how this shakes out, you'd say, Zedekiah, forget being worried about the Jews. Worry about your eyeballs. Because they're going to poke your eyeballs out. And they're going to slaughter your children in front of your eyes. Worry about that. Now, I'm not trying to be coarse or brutal, but that's the truth. And, and I find that oftentimes we worry about the wrong things. And because he was afraid of something that was not something to be afraid of, and by the way, I feel like, you know, in America today, fear is a new virtue. It's a virtuous thing to be afraid of things. Like the coronavirus, people that are really afraid. And there's, there's people walking around in total fear, but that's, that's a, a virtue today. Never in America's history. We used to be the, the land of the free and the home of the brave. Now we're the land of the masked and the home of the fearful. We're, we're fearful today. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't be wise, and, and, uh, and, and it's arguable. I know some people argue with, about masks and coronavirus, and I'm not saying it's not an issue or not a real thing. I know that there's people who have died, and we should be sad about that. Um, but we also should not be people that are living in total fear. You know, it's almost like when I hear the, all the people in the government talk about the possibility of death and how horrifying it is. I realize they have a different worldview than I do. You know, the worldview I have is more like Paul. I don't count my life dear to myself. That's what Paul says. I, you know, um, the best day of my life is the day I die and go home to be with the Lord. Now, I'm still not cavalier about, you know, um, you know, the coronavirus or cancer or other, you know, issues that are serious. Of course, we, we want to be careful about those things. But I also think we should be reasonable and we shouldn't let fear drive us. And uh, so this is what Zedekiah is driven by, is this fear. And the fear that he has is totally un unfounded. 
There's no real reason for him to be afraid of the Jews. He should be afraid of what Jeremiah is telling him to be afraid of. And you know, like for example, I mean, not to be, I know this probably sounds super political, but you gotta remember when I talk things that sound political, um, you gotta remember there's some things that are theological that sound political, but they are theological. And as a pastor, I can talk about those if I want to. (laughs) The theological things. For example, abortion. Abortion might sound like a political issue, but it's not, it's a theological issue. The Bible tells us what a, a child, what constitutes a child, and the Bible treats the child in the mother's womb as a person that God is forming and that, he's, that he loves and already has a plan and a purpose. And even the Bible, there's stories of interaction between what's happening with what God's doing and what's going on in the mother's womb with the child. And, and so, um, you know, uh, what are we afraid of? And, and people say, there's 400,000 people that have died of coronavirus. It's amazing that nobody's died of pneumonia, flu, cold, or cancer this year, 2021, or 2020. But uh, it's amazing how many coronavirus, did. I'm not sure I believe all the numbers and the comorbidities are not e- equally factored in. So I'm, I'm a little leery of the 400,000 number, but let's just give it to you, 400,000. That's sad and it's a bummer. But what about the millions and millions of babies that have been killed from a mother's womb. You know, it starts to, when when I see people all sanctimonious about 400,000 people who've died about COVID, um, I have to say, I have a hard time jumping on that bandwagon when I think of what we're doing culturally to babies that are unborn. And so we need to be careful uh, as we kind of see what's going on in our world and what what are we afraid of and what are we upset about? People are all upset about the coronavirus. If you want to be upset about something, be upset about abortion. That's a worthy cause. Uh, uh, I just worry that we're duped and we're buying the lies. And like Zedekiah, we're afraid of the wrong things. And we're upset about what's going on. And Jeremiah's like, here's the real thing, but you're not going to listen anyway. That's what, Ze- that's what Jeremiah tells Zedekiah. So Zedekiah says, I'm afraid. But, verse 20, Jeremiah said, they shall not deliver thee. Obey, I beseech thee, the voice of the Lord which I speak unto thee, so shall it be well unto thee, and thy soul shall live. So just so you know, Jeremiah is saying, submit to the Babylonians, turn yourself in, surrender, and you'll live, and things will go well with thee. And that would have happened, but Zedekiah is not going to listen to this, by the way, and he's going to end up having his children killed in front of him, his eyes poked out. But actually, Zedekiah would go to Babylon and live, uh, but not, not live well. Um, like it says here in verse 20, because he won't obey. Verse 21, but if you refuse to go forth, this is the word that the Lord has showed thee. And behold, all the women that are left in the king of Judah's house shall be brought forth to the king of Babylon's princes. And those women shall say, thy friends have set thee on and have prevailed against thee. Thy feet are sunk in the mire and they are turned away back. So they shall bring out all thy wives and thy children to the Chaldeans and thou shalt not escape out of their hand, but thou shalt be taken by the hand of the king of Babylon, and thou shalt cause this city to be burned with fire. Then Zedekiah said unto Jeremiah, let no man know these words, and thou shalt not die. Um, why does Zedekiah want to keep this a secret? That's, a, that's an interesting question. Do you remember the princes in early chapter 38? They were arguing that Jeremiah's words are discouraging the soldiers because Jeremiah is saying, surrender, turn yourselves in. 
Jeremiah is discouraging the soldiers. I wonder if Zedekiah is still holding on for hope, saying, I don't want people discouraged by your horrible message, Jeremiah. See, there's some people that would say that to me tonight, Brett, we don't, you shouldn't be talking about abortion that way. It's so horrifying talking about abortion. Why would you do that? And they don't get it. They, they don't see the horror of abortion, why I should bring it up. And, um, and even some people say, well, Brett, what about the people who have had abortion? Well, see, that's the good news about the gospel. If you're a person who's had an abortion and you're saying, Brett, you're making me feel guilty and you said it was murder and man, if that's true biblically, I'm in toast and I don't know if I wanna hear that. Well, good news, abortion is not the unpardonable sin in the Bible. And if you're a person who's had an abortion, if you're a young man who encouraged your girlfriend to have an abortion and you've had to live with guilt, because man, isn't it amazing how Planned Parenthood doesn't really help the, the, the woman 20 years later? That's what we pastors deal with. We pastors deal with the lady that was told by Planned Parenthood 20, 20 years ago that abortion was a great solution and really you're not ready to have a baby and this and this and this. And it seemed so logical at the time, but how many women live with serious guilt and heartbreak for the rest of their lives? And that's not of the Lord either. If you confess your sin to the Lord, he is able, faithful and just to forgive you your sin and cleanse you from all. And abortion is part of that all there, all unrighteousness and you can be forgiven. You know, it's an amazing thing how um, the Lord is gracious, because we're all sinners, we've all done horrible things, but I'm so thankful for his mercy. And, and it's just an amazing thing here, you know, the way Zedekiah is still, keep it down, don't want people to hear this, and stop offending Jeremiah, stop saying stuff that's making everybody mad. But you know, there's a point where we've gotta speak the truth, and hopefully we speak it in love. I can tell you that's my heart, is to speak about abortion in love. Some people think it's hateful. It's my body. No, it's not. It's your body with another body in it. It's the baby that you, that you are carrying. And you say, it's my body. Nope, it's, it's your body and it's a baby who belongs to the Lord. And, uh, and for, for a mother to say, you know, stay out of my life, um, I think that's a very selfish thing. And it sounds brutal and I'm not trying to be unloving. I'm actually the opposite. Somebody has to speak up for the unborn child. So Zedekiah, this, this story to me parallels so perfectly. You know, if the Lord doesn't judge the United States and the world for what we've done in the horrors of abortion the last 30, 40, 50 years, um, he's gonna owe Sodom and Gomorrah an apology. The Lord, the Lord is gonna judge this world. And, and the Bible says he's coming and he's gonna pour out his wrath on a Christ-rejecting sinful world. Brian, you're starting to sound like Jeremiah. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> I take that as a compliment. So he says, don't tell anybody these words, verse 25, but if the princes hear that I have talked with thee and they come unto thee um, and say unto thee, declare unto us now what thou did, hast said unto the king, hide it not from us and we will not put thee to death. Also, what the king said unto thee. Then thou shalt say unto them, I presented my supplication before the king that he would not cause me to return to Jonathan's house to die there. Then came the princes to Jeremiah and asked him, and he told them, according all these words, so the king had commanded. So they left off speaking with him for the matter was not perceived. So Jeremiah abode in the court of the prison until the day that Jerusalem was taken and he was there at, at Jerusalem when uh, he, it was taken. He was there when Jerusalem was taken. Brett, I have a problem. Jeremiah lied. 
Did you see that? Did you see where Jeremiah lied? I always love when sanctimonious people look at these, Jeremiah lied. And they get all caught up on this. Because the king said, tell them that you didn't talk to me about this stuff, but tell them you were asking me uh, to not be put back into prison. Um, And so the guys came and said, what did you talk to the king about? I talked to the king about not being put back in prison. Liar, Jeremiah, goes down in history as a liar. Okay, there's a couple reasons why that's wrong. First of all, Jeremiah could say this with a pure conscience. Do you remember in chapter 37, uh, what was it, verse 20, I think it was, um, where Jeremiah did ask, he said, I pray thee, O Lord, my, let my supplication, I pray thee, be accepted that thou cause me not to return to the house of Jonathan the scribe, lest I die there. So Jeremiah did ask that of the king, just in a different conversation. Yeah, but Brett, didn't your mom ever teach you that a half-truth is a whole lie? So Jeremiah did a lie here. Um, there are some interesting things that you should be thinking about. Um, is it ever okay to lie? Uh, and a lot of people say, no, of course not. Well, what would you tell Corrie Ten Boom as she was hiding Jews in that hiding place of her house and the Nazis come in the house and say, where are the Jews you're hiding? Uh, not supposed to lie. So they're in that cupboard over there under the thing. <laughs> is it ever reasonable to lie? The answer I'm going to say is yes. And I'll tell you why. Because Rahab... Rahab lied. Do you remember when they came and knocked on Rahab's door in Jericho and she was hiding the Jews that were there? And they said, where are these Jews we saw come in your house? Oh, they're gone. They're already long gone. But she was hiding them under the flax on her roof. Remember that story? She lied to them. And people get all up in a tizzy about that. But later, she's blessed because she did that. And the Lord says, I will not destroy your house and your family because you did that. God honors her for that. What, what is the case where that might be? Uh, it's a tricky one because nobody's looking for what, when can I lie and be okay biblically. <laughs> um, I would say it this way. Um, in certain life or death warfare conditions, um, that's what's going on here. These are life or death situations uh, where there's, they're at war. So like Rahab, it was a, it was a war. They wanted to slaughter Jews and kill them. Uh, same here. They, were, they would have killed Jeremiah and they, they would have maybe even killed Zedekiah the king. Um, there was a reason that, and Jeremiah did it and the Lord protected him through it. I'm not making a case for lying. I'm just saying we shouldn't be so sanctimonious in times of battle. I mean, you could take it to a weird, what if you're a general and you're strategizing and say, we're going to do an end around ambush. We're going to deceive the army because we're going we're to we're present like we're attacking from this side, but we're actually going to attack from here. That's deceit. That's lying. And you should be honest with the other army. <laughs> Do you know there was a day they used to fight battles like that? Do you remember, um, the, you know, George, George Washington and uh, uh, the Revolutionary War where they just kind of line up their armies? Okay, you're on this side, we're on this side. No, tr- no funny business. Just line up and start shooting. Um, that would have been a horrible way to die, just standing there. Uh, horrible way to die. Um, uh, you know, the, the point of the making is there's, there's times in warfare and life or death situations where that kind of uh, thing is okay, it seems, in the Bible. I don't know why I made that point. Uh, everyone's like, Brett told us we could lie. <laughs> That's not what I said. Um, but uh, uh, learning from Jeremiah. You know, of all the things we talked about tonight, I hope that we um, can learn. I love this guy, Eved Melech. There's a lot of people hurting right now. And there's a lot of people down and out. There's people who have lost their businesses because of this lockdown. There's people that are, there's kids that are troubled. Um, 
you know, suicidal. We've had several suicides locally here of teenagers that are just uh, done with being stuck at home, locked down, and not able to go anywhere. And, and uh, the mental health of people is hurting. And I think this is where we as the church should pick it up. Wouldn't it be great if we spent as much energy that we talk about masks and COVID and politics, if we put more of our energy from that more into saying, I want to be an Aved Melech, helping to pull someone out of the miry clay, being the, the, the instrument God uses to build someone up and encourage them. That would be a great thing if we learned that tonight from Aved Melech, Bible hero right there. Amen. Lord, we thank you so much for these chapters in Jeremiah. Again, Lord, we always kind of just are amazed at how your word so perfectly hits us right where we're at in the things we need to hear and know. Um, I know, Lord, some of the things that I've talked about uh, could be controversial and even people angry. Um, Lord, if I've misspoke on anything, I pray you'd cover that and erase it from our ears and minds. But the things that are of you and the things that you want us to hear and know, would you just convict us in our hearts to a point of action? Lord, um, whether it's to be more caring and lowering the ropes with some rags to help someone, Lord, if that's it, or, or if it's to change our thinking about fear and how fearful we are about certain things and not caring about other things that actually do matter. Lord, adjust our thinking. Help us to be more like Jeremiah and not like Zedekiah. Lord, forgive us for a Zedekiah-like mindset. For the husband that's struggling in his marriage, help him just to to do what your word says um, and not try to figure out some fancier way of doing it. For the wife, that she respect her husband and the man that he love his wife as you loved us. Lord, that marriages would be helped by just the, the, the practical truths of your word. Forgive us where we've tried to overcomplicate, overthink things that are just true. So give us wisdom, give us application, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.